The following message is from the 2014 IBCD Summer Institute, Making Peace with the Past. Father in Heaven, we come to you in the name of you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What an amazing God you are. We thank you that you've revealed yourself through Jesus Christ and through the Word. We would have never been able to figure it out <clears throat> from looking at creation. Many things we could infer, but our sin blinded us, and even if we saw clearly, we would never understand that you're Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that Jesus Christ, you're the incarnate Son of God. Uh, one person, two natures, uh, bound together without confusion or mixture, and a unique and yet the Savior. We would never infer that the Holy Spirit is a person who could walk us through this life. And as uh, <clears throat> we start, and whether the brothers and sisters stay through all three or come and go and hear later, help us as we go through the book of 1 Peter for two reasons. One, <clears throat> as a model of how to understand, use, and apply the scriptures directly in counseling and then for the message of the book itself, uh, Lord, which is hope under suffering, which is something that we and our counselees desperately need. So we pray that you would bless us and you would encourage us through this. Uh, in Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, I'm George Scipione. Um, uh, I hope it's in there, G-S-C-I-P-I-O-N-E. <clears throat> if you need to contact me, that's my, my email will be <clears throat> lowercase g Scipione at rpts, rpts edu. <clears throat> and that information's in the back of your uh, black binder there. There's a sheet <clears throat> of the educational opportunities that we have out in Pittsburgh. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Okay, what I want to do is to go through the book of 1 Peter, and I'm going to take it in three chunks, uh, so we're going to have to move quickly, but what I want you to do uh, is see, tonight we're going to cover uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, through 2.12, okay? That's the chunk we're going to go over tonight, and I've sort of entitled it, Hope for Peter, You, and Your Counselees. One of the things that you'll see if you study biblical counseling is the absolute necessity of God to give people hope. With hope, people don't try, they don't put effort, they don't go to God, they don't trust in God, they don't put an effort in terms of following what God says, because why? What, what's the use? Everything's the same. Since the beginning of my life, nothing's ever going to change. Why even put effort into it? So people need hope. Without hope, people die. <clears throat> it's often been noted that approximately three in the morning to six more people die in the hospital. Because the nights are long, people lose hope, they give up, they give up the fight. So uh, let's go through this and see how Peter builds hope. Remember, he's writing <clears throat> to people who are scattered all through Asia Minor, who are going to, he's, he's prepping them to suffer. <clears throat> None of the name it and claim it, you know, uh, God doesn't want you to suffer. He wants you healthy, wealthy, and wise. None of that in the Bible. 
and certainly not from Peter, at least after Pentecost. <clears throat> Maybe before, hey, you're not going to go to the cross. <clears throat> Get behind me, Satan. So how, how do we build hope? First of all, just think of this through with me. Verses, uh, even before we get to the first uh, chunk, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. So verses 1 and 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Look at the hope. Who writes the book of Peter? Peter. So I'm glad he's in graduate seminary. <laughs> he got it right, okay? I took a shot. <clears throat> okay, very good. Uh, I won't go into my long shtick about liberal critics who have to come up with cutesy things, why Peter couldn't have written Peter, why John couldn't have written the book of John. <laughs> Uh, you know, the bottom line is uh, I'm too uh, proud to beg, um, I'm too weak to dig, but I don't believe the Bible anymore, so I still have to be a scholar, you know, uh, and come up with these goofy ideas. Peter writes it. Now, why is this hopeful? <clears throat> why does this, <clears throat> why should this engender hope that Peter gets to write the book on persecution? Because of his testimony, which is? Okay, he suffered. The bottom line is uh, John MacArthur Jr. calls him what? The apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. Because he's always putting his foot in his mouth, okay? Oh, you're not going to go to the cross. <clears throat> oh, you're not going to wash my feet, Peter. I'm going to wash your feet. No, okay, give me a bath. No, you had a bath. You don't need another bath. You just need your feet washed. Come on, Peter. <clears throat> oh, look, these other guys, they'll all deny you, but not me. Really, Peter? Really, Peter? Guess what? Before dawn, when the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. Okay? Divine irony, but grace. Peter, who's lopping off ears <clears throat> in the garden, swearing with a Galilean accent, oh, I never knew the man. Okay? This is the guy that writes the book. So this ought to, right, some guys with bad tempers and, <clears throat> why, why? We've been fishing all night. What do you mean? Do you want us to go, okay, so it's you. What are you? You're a carpenter. What do you know about fishing, right? <clears throat> so cast the net on the other side. Oh, Lord, what's he say? Remember when he's called by the Sea of Galilee, first time. What's he say to Jesus? Depart from me, O oh Lord, I'm a sinful man. He's knee-deep in fish. The boat's sinking. they got to call the Zebedees. He goes, uh-oh. This, this, is, this is something here, okay? Now, again, <clears throat> now all of this, and you can bring this in to someone when they're studying it, okay? Work this over with them. Hope? Guess what? You denied me three times. Peter, do you love me more than these? Isn't it how the Lord, now that's a great, I'll do that sometime, tell them, hey, let me just do John 21, you know, teach that as a seminar, but the restoration, okay, uh, they're fishing all night, hey, you got anything? No, 
throw it on the other side of the boat. Now think about that. <laughs> I mean, how wide could the boat possibly be <clears throat> that, you know, they throw the net on the other side and they catch what? 153 large fish. And yet the nets weren't broken. John goes, it's the Lord. <laughs> okay? So here's the brilliance. You can learn a lot about counseling there. Okay? That's another seminar for another time. But here's the Lord recalling Peter and John recording it to make everyone know he's still an apostle. He screwed up royally. He denied the Lord three times. And then the Lord, do you love me more than these? Well, you know, I have deep affection. People argue back and forth. No, there's no, you know, the two Greek words, both could be love. They're, they're different Greek words, and I, I don't think John uses, you know, two different words just interchangeably. <clears throat> you know, second time, okay, do you love me? I have deep affection. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Third time, he says, do you even have deep affection for me? He's grieved. Lord, you know. Okay. Guess what, Peter? You're going to get your martyrdom. Yeah, when you were young, dressed yourself. When you get old, you'll have to put your arms out, somebody will have to dress you, and then they're going to take you where you don't want to go. And John adds, this is to show what kind of death he's going to die. So, <clears throat> again, there's a lot there. See, even that, Peter's life can be used to say, you've messed up, Christ can forgive you. You can be restored. Okay? Now, there are consequences. You know, so you don't say right away to a guy who's committed adultery, oh, you can go back into the pastorate. No, no, no. There, there's other things, but there can be forgiveness. There can be restoration. So just, just the very fact of who <clears throat> he is and how he's restored in John 21. So, so just note those things down. Then, then other things that are encouraging, these are people of the dispersion. People argue back and forth, oh, these are Jewish Christians, uh, other Gentiles. In a sense, it doesn't matter. <clears throat> These are people scattered all over Asia Minor. Peter's writing to them, and the one thing is clear, that all the promises that he made to ancient Israel, he's making to them. Why? Because you are a royal priesthood. We'll get that to chapter 2. So, but notice this. According to what? Here's hope in the first, second verse, right? Who's involved in this counseling process? God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son. Okay, normally it's Father, Son, and Spirit, but, you know, interchangeable in terms of this. What? According to the what? Foreknowledge of God the Father by sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. So God foreknows that you need to be saved, or the counselee. God saves. The Holy Spirit sets apart the person for what? The blood of Christ and for obedience. Okay? Just a, a, Peter often expresses things differently, but there's a lot of hope there. Okay? May grace and peace be multiplied to you. So, you know, you can use this as a prayer at the beginning. And again, what I'd like to go through, remember, keep in your mind. All scripture is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. Okay? So think in those categories. What does this teach? 
What does it rebuke? I was in Tijuana getting my teeth worked on you know, the other day, and there were some JWs. I said, I love you guys, but guess what? You're wrong. You, know? uh, you don't believe in the Father, so no, no. You know, Jesus is the Son of God. Yeah, but you think you're a son of God, not in the same way. Rebuke, correction, okay? Correction, <clears throat> you know, and training in righteousness. So go through. So there's hope, just in that, those first two verses, okay? So God, the first thing is, Peter brings hope because of who he is and gets to write the book. Secondly, God is involved. You, you can give hope to your counselee. Look, you're not in this alone. The Father, Son, and Spirit, the triune God, the living God is involved in this. Now, if they're not a Christian, then you know you need to give them the gospel and present it to them, but you know, you got tremendous hope and tremendous resources. Right? And, and so you need to say, hey, you know, you and I are not in this alone. <clears throat> it's not my good looks or my smarts that's going to get you out of this. It's not your power or your strength or your wisdom or skill. The Father knows, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit works, and you're sprinkled with the blood of Christ. Okay? So, so again, God is totally involved, and he multiplies this grace. So um, there's an awful lot of counseling that isn't just do this or do that or understand. Uh, people have to be marinated in hope. I'm told this, I, I think it's accurate, and if it's not, please don't tell me so I, I get the facts. I like the illustration. I am told that olives, you know how they do olives? First they take olives off the tree. My, my wife got caught when we came to Chula Vista in 82. We had someone, it was an older guy, I was an elder in the church, and he played a joke. He said, here, ever taste an olive? Fresh olive off the tree. And I knew him well enough to go, I don't trust the guy, okay? <laughs> and my wife bit it. It's astringent. It's astringent, okay? So I'm told what they do is they take the olives and soak them in lye, you know, to leach out, okay? Now you got lye, and that's not healthy, <clears throat> so you have to put it in salt water to leach out the lye. And people are like that, you know? They gotta be marinated, you know, in the lie of repentance and then the grace of God. And so <clears throat> uh, they need hope. And, and right here, right at the beginning, <clears throat> you can build hope from that. <clears throat> a, a third thing that, that builds hope, and that's really gonna be the theme of the first chapter and a half. <clears throat> Look at verses three through 12. <clears throat> I'm reading from the ESV. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. <clears throat> so the resurrection of Jesus Christ, at least here, Peter says, that's the cause of you being born again. No resurrection of Jesus, you couldn't possibly change because the Holy Spirit wouldn't have come to change you. It's caused us to be born again to a living hope. Note again, living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So that's the first thing. <clears throat> if this person's a Christian, guess what? 
you don't have to worry about your eternal salvation like your 401k. You don't have to worry that this administration or some previous administration or some future administration is going to screw up your bank account in heaven. Why? Look at it. It's what? Look, look at those adjectives. <clears throat> it's imperishable, undefiled, <clears throat> unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by... Can anybody sneak into heaven and rob it? In a sense, you and what army? Psalm 2. <clears throat> Kiss the son, lest he become angry with you. you know, by the way, it's another, another uh, seminar for another time. Humor in the Bible. <clears throat> but as I remind people, when God is laughing, you probably should duck. Because <clears throat> most often, if God's laughing, somebody's in trouble. <clears throat> he who sits in the heaven laughs. You? What? You and what army is going to defeat my Messiah. <clears throat> I've put him on the holy hill. He's on the throne right now. And we'll get, Peter will say this later. Jesus is right now on the throne next to the Father and nothing can take him off. And our inheritance is secure. <clears throat> Talk about hope. But then you go, ah, aha, the inheritance is safe, but what about me? What if I don't make it to heaven? Well, Peter goes on. For salvation to be revealed at the last time. What? To whom? For you, it's kept in heaven for you. Who, why, what? God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So as you trust in God, he protects you. <clears throat> so the inheritance is there. No one's going to take it away. It's not going to... It's not going to diminish in value, etc., etc. And you are going to make it. There's got to be a preacher. <clears throat> it's got to be a preacher. I'm trying to be nice. Okay, okay, I'll, I'll compete. No. <clears throat> okay, so the inheritance is safe and the person is safe. Now, obviously, if the person's not a believer, you can't make those promises. And you have to say, but they're available to you if you yield to Christ. Okay. So, <clears throat> before a Christian, yes. <clears throat> Go ahead. In verse, you know, when you talk about you being saved, we've already looked at God's role in our salvation. Right. And all that. When it says through faith, what is that faith referring to? Our faith in Christ, our yes. faith in God the Father's plan, <clears throat> work of the Holy Spirit. Is it a all of it. All of it. Yes, it's all of it. In this context, <clears throat> I think to limit it just to the work of Christ, is to miss, yeah, and oftentimes in our desire properly to be Christ-centered, we forget the Father and the Holy so Spirit. Oh yeah, well, I think because of the introduction. <clears throat> it's God's plan. Who sent Jesus? Right. And what did Jesus say? I came not to glorify myself. So we forget, right. and, and properly so some people will point, say, to radical charismatics and say, you emphasize the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's supposed to point to Christ. But when we point to Christ, remember, he goes, <clears throat> it's the Father. Maybe Hebrews 11 was something concerned what their faith is in is fairly broad. Yeah. That's just what I'm, I'm wanting, just to clarify. Right. If we're helping someone, it wouldn't just be Christ in his death, it would also be the plan and the work of the Holy Spirit. Sure, but then, see, where, where's Jesus? 
He's next to the Father. How do we know he's next to the Father? The Holy Spirit communicates that to us, okay? So, could, could it be answered uh, as far as a picture to say that just like the seed, it's inclusive of everything that's needed in this maturation process, it's in that seed? Sure, okay. but I think the point is here, it simply is the guard. It's kind of like put Paul's terms. You need faith, ongoing faith, so God doesn't zap you. The point is you have to continue to trust in him uh, and follow through. As we're going to see, he gets to the next place where he says, gird up the loins of your mind. Okay, so there's, there's uh, people today, the terms they throw around, the imperative, the indicative. You know, the indicative is what Christ has done. The imperative is what we need to do. They go hand in glove. It starts with God, okay? So the, he says, in this you rejoice, now here comes to the theme of the book. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, it perishes though it is tested by fire. There's the metaphor. May be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. See, now it comes back to Christ. Though you now do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, salvation of your souls. So we're saved now, but this isn't heaven. There's a bumper sticker I want to make. This ain't heaven, Toto. You know, this isn't as good as it gets. Okay? So, so the point is, we're... We're looking to that day in the new heavens and new earth with our resurrection body. And he's saying, okay, now, your faith is going to be tested just like gold. See, so that's the theme of the book. You're going to come under fire. And as we're going to see all through the whole book, don't be surprised. You became a Christian? It's like, well, you became a Marine and you're getting shot at? Why are you surprised you're getting shot at? You join the Marines. <laughs> Marines get shot at. Okay? The, the bottom line is, or, or the army, the, the reality is, uh, and, and as we go into counseling, this has got to bring hope. Now, it's not an easy hope, like it's dealing with the past. You know, it was great stuff with Steve. But the point is, the tough times are not a mistake. God is in them. Okay? And so, uh, you know, you're in a win-win situation. The inheritance is secure, you're secure, and, and God's going to keep you. Uh, let me just read a verse. On top of that, is this exciting stuff? Yeah. Just for theologians? No. Listen to this. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them, notice that's very interesting, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ in them, so the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit's called the Spirit of Christ, you know, working in the prophets of what? Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories as it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that they have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. These things into which angels long to look. So, I mean, without being, you know, weird or anything, you get, do you realize what I'm talking to you about? Angels want to know about this stuff. But God didn't die for angels, Hebrews. You know, he died for the seed of Abraham. 
they're, they're all kind of looking, the demons and the angels are all looking, going, what's, what's going on here? Why would he do this? Why would Christ do this? Well, I think about that. The 12 numbskulls. Yeah. That's the apostles. You know? Right? I mean, if I'm Christ, praise God I'm not. But, you know, yeah. what? What? I go do this, and this is what I get back. Not fair. <laughs> not fair. Okay? But you see, all this is motivation. The inheritance can't be faded. It's, it's, it's guaranteed. Nobody can tell you that. You know, it's tied to the market or this, that, or the gold, or someone could steal the gold. I had a friend at seminary. He had $30,000 worth of gold. Someone stole the safe. He says, I got a new understanding of don't laugh for yourselves treasures on earth. <laughs> you know, I thought it was safe in the safe, but the safe wasn't safe. <laughs> you know, so uh, the bottom line is, but this is important because people are going to come in. Now again, notice it's in the context of suffering. It's not an easy thing. But the, the inheritance is guaranteed. You can and motivate them with that. <clears throat> You're secured. And this is exciting stuff that, that, that everybody up until the day that Jesus Christ was born was looking for this. Our modern world doesn't think that, but the whole world was looking forward you know, from Adam on. Looking forward to this time. Okay, so do you see all that? Yes. You know, as you're saying that, I, I had a conversation with a gentleman today. He's convinced that this this life on earth, this is heaven. You know, you've probably heard that from, from people in our society. What what would be your response to that? I mean, there's I a there's a there's a heresy. Most of you may not have heard of it, but there's a heresy called full preterism, which means all the promises of the Bible have already been fulfilled, including the resurrection. And I just simply say, if this is the resurrection, I've been ripped off. That's kind of what, I, what my response Yeah. Is. What can you say to a Christian scientist or an extreme Eastern mystic? You know, uh, pain and suffering are illusions. Well, they're pretty powerful illusions. Well, right. What, what, what's that again, please? Full. Full preterism. Preterism means uh, that the scriptures had present uh, significance, and, and there's a legitimate preterism, but you know, it's another discussion for another time. But full preterism uh, is, a, is a heresy that's developed uh, through the centuries and popped up again that, you know, everything's, everything in the Bible has happened. Second, second coming of Christ and the resurrection has already happened. You know, that's the Christian version of the Eastern mysticism. But, you know, bottom line is, you know, Christ came to overcome the effects of sin. If you don't believe in sin, you don't see a need for the Savior. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. So, okay, so all of, can you see this? This is all to build hope. Okay, now, if a person doesn't believe this, you don't beat them over the head with it, but you can say, well, what do you have to offer? You know, what hope do you have? You know, well, there is no hope. Oh, so you think life is a crappy, you know? and uh, in some ways it is. But uh, the bottom line is, is there no hope? We have the hope here. So, okay, the hope's in the triune God who knows, who sends the Spirit to change people, you know, and bottom line is, you know, if by God's grace he can open up your eyes, you'll see this, you'll have hope. You know, but I'm not just here giving you some techniques, you know, to tread water so that you can exist 
You know, we're talking about eternal things, okay? So, you're in a win-win situation. 13 through 25. <clears throat> However, now we come to your counselee, and they probably wouldn't be with you if they didn't know this, is they're in a battle. Life is not a cakewalk. Listen, therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So you've got to live by faith. It's not here now. Okay? As obedient. Now again, in the, in the Greek, it's literally gird up the loins of your mind. Don't forget, tuck in the toga, if you want to put it that way. You know, they, they had those things. You had to tuck it in, or if you run, you trip over it, and you know you're dead meat, you know, in fighting. So tuck in the toga you know, of your mind, okay? Preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. You can't take a pill. I'm sorry, I can't give you a pill. I can't give you three Bible verses with a prayer and say this is all going to go away. You've got to become a spiritual soldier. You've got to prepare yourself for battle. And you've got to be sober-minded. You know, this isn't, you know, just say in the name of Jesus and everything's going to kind of go away. Okay? Uh, set your hope fully. Again, see the whole point of hope. Fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So, again, one of the things you're going to need to do to help people in suffering is saying, what's your goal? Happiness or holiness? I can't help you with the happiness. <clears throat> I can help you with the holiness. Hope will lead, by God's grace, to obedient service, which leads to hope, which leads to holiness, which eventually will lead to happiness. But, you know, this is God's way. Uh, but as uh, the former ignorance, but as he was called his holy, also your conduct, uh, be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, quote, quotes the Old Testament, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now it's interesting. Uh, again, that should, that's a, again another whole subject. Don't forget the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament gives you the background for the New Testament, and the New Testament doesn't make any sense without the Old Testament. And don't become like many Christians that pit the old against the new. Oh, that old Noah, you know, the pagan film that just came out. It's the bad demiurge who made the world, and he's always angry, killing the Canaanites and wiping out all these people. That's the nasty God of the old And boy, oh boy, can I be glad that we're in the New Testament with Jesus, the God of love. You know, and to pit the two against each other is really bad, okay? And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deed, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with the perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of, Jesus, of Christ, that of a lamb without blot or spot. Okay. So here, here he's saying the motivating factor for you to do this is you've been bought by the blood of Christ. So fight to be holy. It's not enough just to contemplate the love of Christ for you. I'm going to say that reverently, okay? That should lead you to say, I want to be holy because I want to please him. He was holy. He wants me to be holy. He died to make me holy. And therefore, okay, again, I know we fail. And 1 John, 
My little children, I write these things so you don't sin. But if you do, we have a, a defense attorney with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. 1 John 1, 9. That's what he's saying in a different way. Strive to be holy. Why? Guilt, grace, gratitude. You are so guilty, you are on your way to hell. He shed his blood for you, and therefore you ought to be grateful. Okay? So there's the motivating factor. Okay? And interesting, noticing that you were ransomed from what? The feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Now that's again another seminar. It goes into what you know, Steve was saying. We inherit feudal, not helpful things from our, from our parents. Not blaming them, but we, but we learn language from our parents. You know, you know habla espanol, fala portuguesa, you know, levite chesky, I mean, whatever. You know, you, you learn language, but you also learn ways of, you know, responding to, to tough times. I had one gal who said, I think I know now. She was a Navy wife. Uh, husband was really uh, enlisted guy, sweet guy, tried to help her. But every time she got her monthly, monthly cycle, she would kind of go into a funk and really just treat him badly. And she came in one time, she said, you know, I think I understand where that came from now. I learned that from my mother. Every month, mom would end up, you know, for five days on the couch, and we'd all have to wait on her, hand and foot, you know. And, and I think I came growing up expecting to get that same kind of treatment. And because I didn't get that treatment, I've been resentful. See? So you can learn, you know, patterns, you know, from the past. So, you know, the conference is, is right on it. You've been redeemed from that feudal lifestyle, you know, what? Through the blood of Christ. Now, because he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Your hope is not in you or what you do, but it's in God. No. You mentioned earlier something very popular in counseling today, the whole indicative, imperative, using those things to get what God has done for us and what he commands us to do. Right. I think you kind of see that in verses 17 and 20. God has redeemed you with precious blood. Kind of the therefore be holy is connected to that. Right. So in your counseling, when do you know which to focus on? Very good. Counseling? I, I, I come back next year. I can't tell you that. I'm just going through first. Okay. No. Okay. You know what I mean? Here, okay. Here's the issue. I think, com I think counseling is much more complicated than we all tend to make it out to be. We all like a Roman's road. Really, you know. And the bottom line is if somebody, just to be, just to be blunt, is sitting there stubborn in his or her sin, they need a good dose of the law. I'm serious, not beaten up with it, but a good dose of conviction. If a guy, and this has happened to me, he goes, I, I'm going to leave my wife, I know it's wrong, but God's going to forgive me. He's a minister, mm. okay? He's a minister. And, and he says, I'm going to marry this other woman. God will forgive and we'll have wonderful ministry. And I go, really? Okay, this is me. I'm quirky, so don't, you don't have to be me. So, okay, here, do me a favor. Stay here. Give me a 20-minute head start. I said, why? I said, because when God deals with you, there could be collateral damage. And I need a head start to be 20 minutes away from here. Because if you're standing here thumbing your nose at God saying, you know, I'm going to get away with this, dude, Deuteronomy 20, you know, 7, and Hebrews, 
You know, it's a fearful thing to fall in the hand of God. See, that takes skill, and, and that's a dangerous thing. You don't want to beat him up wrongly, but a guy sitting there going, thumbing his nose at God, you know, uh, ultimately, yeah, it's got to be the grace of God. That's a, somebody who's been abused, like you're talking about it. Hey, is the blood, I've said to one gal once, Again, I, I use metaphors a lot, and it may not be good. Use the scriptures, but uh, she's binging and purging. And, and I didn't know what to say. I said, okay, let me do me a favor. This week, write this down. Jesus, you're not enough. And every time you stick your finger down your throat to go puke, just say, Jesus, you're enough, because that's what you're really saying as a Christian. Mm-hmm. At this given point, my fellowship with you, prayer, reading the scripture, calling other Christians, getting help, it's not sufficient. I'd rather go binge and purge or go do pornography. I mean, it really comes down to that. So, so in a sense, that it's like fishing. You know, some fish you got to hook real quick. Others you got to let them nibble. I'm not a fisherman, but I mean, there's difference. And then some you can't muscle in the boat or you rip the, you know. It, there's a skill in counseling to know which scripture to go and how to do it. Uh, so in a sense, everything I'm saying here, teaching, rebuke, correction, tra- which one do you need? Uh, well, 1 Thessalonians 5.13, admonish the unruly, uh, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. The, the weak are so bad, you just got to get under them and drag them across the line. Be gentle with everyone. But you got to discern, you know, which person needs this, and, and that's not something <clears throat> that you can get easily. It's like tennis. Again, I don't play tennis anymore, but do you lob? Do you try to blow it past them? You chip it over. How do you, how do you teach that? There's an ebb and flow. But you need all the passages, you need all those skill and, and when to pull that out. And sometimes you'll make a mistake. And then you come back and go, I, I really, you know, I've had to do this. Will you please forgive me? Why? Well, last week you were looking for a fight. And I was all too glad to give it to you. <laughs> and the shame was, I told you what was biblical, but I didn't tell you in a biblical way. Please forgive me. So, I mean, uh, the skill in counseling is not just having the right passage, but how, you know, to get that to a person. Something that's come to mind a lot for me is 1 Corinthians 4.21 even kind of says, how do you want me to come to you? You know, with a rod or with love, it's going to depend on you. <laughs> right. What was that on 1 Corinthians 4.21. Yeah. Let me continue. I just want to make sure we get through the passage, and then, and then we'll double back and ask a lot of questions. Okay. Um, so then in 22... Okay, uh, to, to finish out the, that chapter. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brother left. Isn't that a strange way of, you know, purified your soul by obedience, okay? Well, it's really the blood of Christ, but it's the outworking of that. Peter says things in very remarkable ways. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So here's another motivating factor. The inheritance is secure. You're secure. You've been bought by the blood of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that changed you. It's the word. And notice it. It's the agent. It's the imperishable uh, living and abiding word of God. For And then he goes back again to the Old Testament, Isaiah. All flesh is like grass. All its glory is like the flower of the grass. The grass withers. The flower falls but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the good news that was preached to you. Now, it's interesting. The causal agent that the Holy Spirit uses is the word. 
Okay, and, and, and that's why I say metaphors are okay, but always use the word. It's the word that has power, not in a mechanical sense. But, you know, often as biblical counselors, we like to use shorthand. You know, do this, do that, you know. Well, no, go to a passage of Scripture and, and open that up. Let the sword of the Spirit, you know, you're not going to talk someone into the kingdom. Okay? You have to talk, you have to urge, but it's the Word of God. And notice that's the thing that changes. And this should nail it. And when the person goes, well, you're not giving me a pill, or you're not doing this, or... It's, it's God. You know, it's God. The God in heaven, the Father, has to work. He works through the Spirit and causes you to be washed in the blood of Christ and filled with the Spirit. So it's got to be Him. So in a sense, it goes both ways. The hope, but also the rebuke. And as, as Steve was saying, that woman practically didn't have on a day-to-day -day basis the understanding of who she was in Christ and what Christ was doing for her. Okay? So it's the Word that's going to do that and bring that back to the person. Okay? So, uh, you're, you're, again, you're, you're, in a, you're in hostile territory, okay? And it's only the Word of God that's really going to get you out of this. Well, let me get the next chunk, and then we'll have plenty of time for questions. So, now, okay, you're in hot, okay, here's the scene. Your inheritance is secure. You're secure, guarded by God. The Holy Spirit's changing you through the Word of God. But you're, if we can put it in modern terms, you're in deep kimchi because you are in hostile territory. Okay? Yeah. There's an old gospel hymn that you hardly hear anymore. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Okay? The bottom line is, this is not the final new heavens and new earth. And we've got to remember that. Romans 8, it's been what? Subjected in hope of the resurrection and the glory of the sons of God to be revealed. But, but and it says, it didn't, the earth didn't willingly get subjected to this. The cancer, you know, you wrestle with them. The, the world didn't ask for this. God subjected it in the hope of the new heavens and new earth. Okay? So we're in hospital territory. So put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. You know, that's a whole slew of things that you could counsel through. That stuff will kill a person being able to get through. If you're envious of your other soldiers around you, the other Christians, if you're fighting and mal, you're not a good fighting unit. The esprit de corps is going to be gone. You're going to destroy each other. <clears throat> like newborn infants long for what? The pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, that is Jesus, and here's the metaphor, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, from the Old Testament. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, quote, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So, the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and, quote, a stone of stumbling and a rock of fence from the book of Isaiah. So here's, again, your evangelism, okay? Say, look, it cuts both ways. There's, there's no neutrality. If you reject what I'm saying or giving to you, there really isn't any other foundation, at least that God gives. 
and you either become a living stone, you know, and live this way, and with Christ and with the apostles and prophets, you know, Ephesians 2 is the foundation, uh, and your living stones built up, and you're why. You are what Israel never was. You're the people of God. You were not a people. So he goes on, he says, they stumbled because they were disobedient, uh, disobeyed the word as they were destined to. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now there's all quotes about Israel. So you can argue whether these are you know, Jewish Christians in dispersion or Gentiles as well. It doesn't really matter because those are the promises. <clears throat> the church is supposed to do what Israel failed to do. We're supposed to really bring glory to God. We're supposed to be a royal priesthood. We're supposed to make sacrifices to God of praise. And we're supposed to serve him. Right? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we're summing up this first section on hope. Okay, And he comes to this. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. And you can unpackage that for people. You know, the guys that come in, you know, with drunk, you know, pornography, whatever it is, the sinful pattern, you know, you're, you're giving yourself to over these passions. Okay? And you're not being sober-minded, preparing for battle, and uh, they're waging war against your soul. What are two, three great enemies? The unholy trinity, the world, the flesh and the devil, okay? So you, you, you've got uh, these desires. These desires are going to kill you. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So this is really kind of the first chunk of the book. Here's the hope. People need hope. But it's a realistic hope in the midst of a battle, and a battle that takes serious involvement. So when people come in, you can give them hope, but you can also say, look, there's no pills. This is not an easy thing. This is going to take work. We're going to really have to fight here. This is going to be a battle. And uh, you, you may not even want to get into counseling you know, immediately. Give them hope. Give them an overview. Hey, this is where we're going to go. Uh, this is what I have to offer by God's grace. You know, It's for you. If they're not a Christian, you say, look, I." You know, got to be real careful. You know, Jesus told the, the guy who had a demon cast out, you know, in seven words, it could, it could get worse. And I warn people if they're not Christian, I say, you can't just take what I'm telling you to do and go do it because, you know, the best that we can create is a Pharisee, you know, with the word of God and not the Holy Spirit. So, you know, I say, um, you need two things. You need to know what God wants you to do, but you need the power to do it. And I don't want you to come back here six months and say, I tried this and it didn't work. So again, you know, and, and again, you've got it right there, a snare of stumbling, a rock of offense. I've had people say, hey, I, I don't want to hear this. I said, I can't help you. So, uh, you know, if you're going to follow First Peter, some people you can't counsel. You really can't. You can loving say, I want to do it. I want to love you. I want to help you. I want to do it. But I'm telling you, I can't do this. You know, it's got to be the Spirit of God. You need to go back. You've got to be washed in the blood of Christ. The Holy Spirit has to set you apart. You have to know that the God's your Father. 
all of this stuff has to be in place, or really I'm just really, you know, just throwing stuff into in an empty uh, basket, and I don't want it to, to backfire. So be real careful. It's not because we're mean, we don't want to help people, but, but you know, don't put the second table before the first table of the law, remember? What's the great commandment? Love God with everything you have. The second is your neighbor is yourself. But don't love your neighbor more than you love God. You've got to obey God rather than man. So just uh, as an aside, counseling is successful if in a loving, kind way you tell that person what God wants him or her to hear. Whether they do it or not, you've been successful. That's, that's your task. It's, your task is not to change the person. Your task is to make sure that the person has a sure foundation in terms of Jesus Christ. So, um, again, and notice this. What kills sin? The Word of God. The person has to desire God and pleasing God uh, out of gratitude more than he or she wants deliverance you know, from his or her problems. So can you see all this in terms, this is not just an epistle to these people, this is almost a paradigm of how you counsel people. You've got to start with God, you've got to start with God's work and his purposes and give them that kind of hope because that's the only realistic hope that's going to work because otherwise it'll come back and double back and bite you. And I can tell you testimonies, I may mention that in the plenary on Saturday, one of the mistakes that you can do is so, so want to help people that you know you jeopardize your family and the church and other things. So, shh, class is still going on down here, try to keep, thank you. Um, so uh, they had to put a loud mouth in here to kind of control the situation. So. Um, but, but, there's, but, but I think this is important. Uh, a parallel to be, and again, that's another seminar I would love to do, is how to counsel a congregation. You got that in Revelation, you know, two and three. You've got how the Lord comes to Ephesus and Smyrna, you know, in Philadelphia, and he takes a whole congregation and he says, here's what I got to say good about you. And then, wham. <laughs> yeah, but I got this complaint. Now, when he gets to the end, he got nothing good to say about Laodicea, man. It's all bad. But the bottom line is uh, how you encourage people. You start with hope. But it's a realistic hope centered in the character and work of God, not in some, you know, three-step or two-step or 12-step or any other methodology. It's the person of God. And, and just notice this. I mean, the whole, whole first uh, uh, chapter and second chapter up to where we are, this, this uh, introduction really is, look, we've got all these problems, but God is sufficient, and, and uh, you've got all these wonderful things. Therefore, get ready for the battle. And, and now he's going to, if you're in the class or if you listen to the tapes, what we're going to jump into tomorrow is help in the midst of the battle. How, how do you get the help? And Christ is going to be the prime example. He's going to apply it to slaves and masters. He's going to apply it to wives 
and husbands, Christians in general, how in the world do you get through the persecution and come out smelling like Christ? But you see, he's got to start with the work of God. So, questions? Okay, yes. This, this, what you're doing here at this conference is interesting, using a book of the Bible just to show how to do counseling from Scripture. My question to you is, say you got someone you're helping in your church who's got pornography problem, mm-hmm. and they have success for four or five weeks, and then they seem to always go back to it. You know what I mean? Sure. When do you know when to give them like a book, like finally free to go through versus just working through a book of the Bible? Because it's yeah. easy, I think, to give them a book, start to go through a book. Sure. Well, what you could do is, you know, uh, either give them the book or the scriptures behind it, or more particularly, you'll find particular passages. Now, if you're ta- dealing with pornography, sexual morality, one of my favorites would be Ephesians 4 and 5, because the dynamics there where uh, sexual sin and immorality and idolatry and covetousness and a whole bunch of stuff that gets at the heart as well as the outward actions, you know, to go through those key passages. Or, you know, uh, here's an application. I'll go to guys to Proverbs. You know, here's the woman. Hey, you're the classic guy. You're the, you're the young, not skinny like me, the skinny guinea, you're the big strong guy, you know, and you're the, you're the ox being led to slaughter, you know, you know, going to go through those passages and say, I want you to read those. I want you to come up with the analysis and see, you know, where you fit into this. So there's lots of different ways of getting about it. Your tendency is more to stay in the Word than to give a book. I go back and forth, and that, that can be an inconsistency in me or whatever. But, you know, I think you do double duty if you go to the Word because you're teaching them how to study the Word while you're going through on the particular problems. So always think, I want to not only overcome the pornography, I want to leave him with the ability to use the Word of God to solve his problems in a biblical manner in the the context of his congregation so that he can be a self-monitoring growing Christian. Because if the guy defeats the one and doesn't learn the general principles, it'll probably either pop up again or it'll just come up in another context of a a different sin. You know, he'll go off in to do something else. Or there was a bad rocks, it's a great rock song, it's a terrible, wicked one, but it's a, when I'm not near the girl I love, I love the girl I'm near. Okay, there was a song out, you know, back in the 60s or 70s like that. And that, that, that's sin. Well, that's a great description. You know, when I can't get the sin, you know, I want, I'll switch to another drug or another, you know. And, and the bottom line is when a, when a heart doesn't want to please God, you know, the demon goes out, you know, uh, not literal perhaps, but he goes through waterless paces, seven worse than him come back, and the latter end of that man is worse than the first. And see, that's what I want to prevent. I don't want to make it worse. And sometimes I think biblical counseling can make it worse, you know, if we don't really get to the heart. Yeah. Um, do you have any recommendations on, after you give them hope and maybe you don't see them again For for you or them? For the counselor. Counselor or counselee? Counselee. You know, because maybe they leave after speaking with you and they're hopeful and encouraged, but they go home and then they get in the funk of things and the mind starts 
Well, but, yeah, well, but that goes, see, that goes to how do you counsel one. You got to have them in a local church context where they're getting all the help, okay, as opposed to, a, you know, an abstract counseling context where they're left alone. Then you have to structure, okay, you have to ask, start asking good questions and get data. Okay, what leads you back into this? You know, you were mentioning the guy that does good for two or three weeks or whatever and then goes, what triggers him going back? Maybe the real issue is not pornography. No, that is a sin. The real issue is anger. Mm -hmm. The real issue is bitterness toward his wife or his boss, okay? I mean, that's, that's what Satan uses to get him back into the pornography. And in a sense, I, the pornography is a secondary sin. It's not really the primary sin. And, and, and that's what you need to do in the counseling to find that out. It's going to be hard at the first week. You give general stuff, but you need to give good homework that brings information back. And, and again, helping the person to reflect in the Word of God. Remember James says, look into the perfect law of liberty. So the scripture is not only good for instruction, but it's good for reflection. Okay? Well, could this possibly be? Okay? Could this possibly be? So uh, that's some of the things that you need to do. Um, I'm thinking about something you said that made me think of what I just read in this book today that threw it right on with it. Um, I think when you mentioned sometimes counseling can be a challenge too. I think what I've kind of learned the hard way is and it'll lead into this, what I want to touch on with what you said with the quote. I think sometimes people aren't really looking for God in the answers and they can tend to like to let the counselor or the pastor be God for them. Yeah, or a priest. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, or, or frankly a secular psychologist I've found they just want to sit on their couch for a while and go home and let you be the problem if they don't change. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and it's bringing me back to what you said uh, People need the word of God. They need the desire to please God more than to be delivered as a person. It's exactly what uh, in Jerry Bridges' book, The Pursuit of Holiness, he says our first problem is that our attitude towards sin is more self-centered than God-centered. Sure. And we're really looking to help ourselves and we sure. are to, to please the Lord. You know, that, that we could go, and that's another seminar, though, but the difference between penance and repentance, okay? There's a great little book out called Repentance, uh, A Radical Call to Surrender by Jack, you know, John Miller. Uh, it's going through a lot of different titles, but um, used to be uh, Repentance in the 20th Century Man and Repentance in the 21st Century Man, and now it's Repentance. But the bottom line is he goes, uh, and Protestants do penance as well as Roman Catholics. Uh, it's just different form. The point is, he goes through and he shows that penance is basically self-centered whereas repentance is God-centered. And you get that very clearly in Psalm 51. There's a dead husband, dead baby, violated wife. Against you, you only have I done what is evil in your sight. And so, so David comes to the point where he sees it. Because, he, because you know, he, he was guilty all along. David knew the law, right? Psalm 32, Psalm 38. We know he was hurting. He was a hurting cowboy. Well, it wasn't a cowboy. He was a hurting shepherd, okay? He was a hurting shepherd. And what happened, what happened was he didn't quite see it until Nathan, I think probably by God's spirit, comes and goes, hey, I got this. No, and he, no, don't you jump the gun, okay? You know, he, he gets to that point, but, you know, he goes, hey, there was this guy, this real, real rich guy, real rich guy, lots of sheep. 
And there was this real poor guy across the street who only had one little lamb. One, I say one little you female lamb. Okay, I mean, he sets up the story, right? He says, and what does he do? <clears throat> His friend comes over. He grabs the little lamb, kills it, he, and serves it for lunch. And David goes ballistic. He says he deserves to die, but he'll restore fourfold. He knows the law, right? Now you, go. Now the punchline. That is you. <laughs> That's right. Very good. Good. You got it. Okay. But, the, but, but, but isn't this interesting? I actually have someone doing a demon project on that, this, this direct, indirect approach. Okay? Probably because if you go into most Oriental kings, like the rest of the prophets did, you go, hey, you're the man. Go kill him. You know what Jesus, remember, said? Hey, this, the rich guy, you know, the, the king sent his servants and they beat some and killed the others and threw them out of the vineyard. He said, I know what I'll do. I'll send my son. They'll all respect him. Oh, really? No, this is the heir. If we kill the heir, then the vineyard's ours. Okay? That's what Israel does to its Messiah. So, uh, again, there's the crafting, you see. There's the wisdom and counseling. Because David is hurting but he's not repentant. So, so again, we can talk about you know, techniques, but that's where wisdom comes in. You, know, you go direct, well, is this unruly? Is this person faint-hearted? Come on, you can, come on, you can do it, you can do it. You don't, you know, the person that's weak, just haul them across the, the finish line, you know. Uh, but be careful, you don't get your clothes tainted by the sin. You know, so you have all that. So this is way more complex than most people you know, want to make it out because we all like little formulas. And, and, and they're not formulas. But, but let's stay here. Got to build hope. And the hope has got to be built on the triune God and what he's doing. And do I really believe he means it? And if I really mean that, then I'm going to submit. And I'm going to tuck in the toga. I'm going to get serious about this battle. And I end with this. Most counselees do not change because they're not serious, myself included. <clears throat> now often, my, one of my favorite passages, I'll throw this in, it's not First Peter, it's Hebrews chapter 12. You have not yet shed blood in your battle against sin. And you're for, shh, please. Uh, we, we, you've not yet shed blood in your battle against sin and you forget the encouragement. God whips every son he brings the glory. Thank you for the encouragement, Lord. I won't say most don't, but you know... So you're they, saying most that don't change. Yeah, they don't, most that don't change because they don't see it's a life and death. In other words, here, I tell a person, you will change because God's promised to change you when you get to the point. Lord, I'd rather have a coronary... I'd rather have a stroke than stay under the dominion of sin. God will step in. But most of us are playing with our sin like we play with food. And, and uh, you know, God's not going to, uh, you know, he may let us stay in our sin and suffer a bit until we realize, hey, you know, he is faithful. He will do it. But, boy, i got to be serious about it. And you don't save yourself. But the point is you got to be serious if you're a man of big appetite, I'm not looking, nothing personal. 
you're a big guy, but if you're a man of big appetite, I got Grant, he's my buddy, okay. If you're a man of big appetite and you're going to go eat at the king, what, what's, what's Solomon's recommendation? Put a knife to your throat, why? Because the oriental king is not going to hire you on to be his servant. He goes, that guy costs me too much. Look at the way he eats. Seriously. That's, I didn't think of that. Well, that's, I think that's exactly what's going on. You know, when you, when you go to the king's house for dinner, you go, whoa, man, look at those locks and bagels. <laughs> that guy's off the list. So no one was watching me out on the patio. Just a few there, right? <laughs> let's pray for Grant. Everyone lay hands on Grant. Okay. Okay, my, my point is the seriousness, okay, and I think that's what Peter's trying to say. You're coming into persecution, and he's going to say two things. Christ is sufficient, but don't get shocked. Don't get caught off guard, you know, and, and that's where most Christians get beaten. One, because they're not serious enough, uh, because they don't take sin serious enough and the Savior enough. So they go fat, dumb, and happy, and they get jumped on by somebody and go, oh, what happened to me? Why did this happen to me? I told you it was going to happen. Everyone who wants to live godly is going to suffer persecution. And then, okay, but I got a savior and my inheritance is in heaven and he, that triune God's involved and he's going to bring me through. You know, let me go for it. Okay. Well, let me pray and I'll stay and talk if you have questions, but uh, I want to be prompt because uh, these get long. What was the next session? The next session? We're done tonight. This is at 9 o'clock tonight. The next session is 8.30 in the morning. I think they start with singing. And then the first plenary session is at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. Okay? Father in heaven, we thank you for this time. What a rich book. Lord, our sister, uh, who we don't know whether she really is or isn't being released from Sudan. Lord, she needs the message of 1 Peter. Our, our friends in China who are <clears throat> being... Uh, written out of the house churches, Lord. They need it. Uh, people are being killed in, in uh, Muslim countries. They need the message of First Peter. But Lord, we need it too. We need it too because the time uh, is obvious unless you create a revival and reformation. Lord, we're going to suffer here. The signs are very clear. So help us to gird up the loins of our minds to get serious and to get ready for the battle in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Copyright 2014, IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.